Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show, along with a mailing list and much more, is available at thejazzsession.com, and you can also find the shows archived in iTunes. My guest, Matthew Shipp, has been making a name for himself recently in a series of print interviews, and uh, he's here today to talk more about his music and his approach to it. He's got a new solo piano album, which comes out this week, called 4D on the Thirsty Ear music label, and it begins with a tune of the same name. My guest is uh, pianist Matthew Shipp, and he's got a new record called 4D, which is a solo piano album. And uh, Matthew, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you very much. Can you talk about, uh, this This is certainly not your first foray into solo piano, and there's been several in recent years. Can you talk about what particular joys uh, solo piano offers you? Well, I think when you're playing solo, you kind of have the freedom to go wherever you need to go. Um, you're in control of the complete space-time. And, you know, you have the freedom to go wherever your imagination takes you without having to worry about if it works with somebody else or if they can pick up where you're going. So it just gives you a lot more options. And as a result, do you find when you're playing solo that you go in 
in surprising directions or go in places that you think you might not have gone otherwise? Um, yes, I do find that, especially um, if if I've been on the road a lot or in a period of intense practicing and I've been playing a lot. Sometimes when I'm on stage or in the studio, I start doing things I, I don't even know what I'm doing or, I, you know, really sometimes just delve into some areas where I've never been. And it's kind of a mystical thing to be in the middle of it and realize that you actually don't know what you're doing. And by don't know, I mean it's something kind of new happening for you. Things are recombining in a new way. And so is that is that your brain kind of taking all of this various input and data from kind of previous performances or previous listening and then just processing it in some new way while you're playing? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I think that's an ongoing um, thing that happens with all creative artists. You know, at all times, you're taking in the world. You're fragmenting the world. You're recombining the world. And hopefully there's some gestalt that happens within the creative process that adds something that's not even there in the parts and and hopefully you have a new hole that's kind of the idea you don't get to that level every night but when it does happen it's really magical does that make uh, uh, kind of touring or placing yourself in in different performing situations does that does that make that a vital part of your continued growth as an artist or do you think you could achieve that even if you weren't uh, kind of t- traveling a lot. Um, well, in a vacuum, I don't know what I could achieve. You know, I, I'm cause I'm not in a vacuum. I, I my guess is that the more you're out there in different situations, performing on um, you know, as a pianist, I love to get great pianos, but I actually think it's probably good sometimes to really have to make bad pianos react to your personality. So I don't really subscribe to the kind of Keith Jarrett babyish idea of crying to promoters if the piano's not the greatest piano in the world. I'm, you know, Thelonious Monk could take any piano and make it sound like himself. So I think it's really important to be out there in different types of situations. And by types of situations, I don't necessarily mean playing different types of music. I mean small halls, big halls, clubs, concert halls, different pianos, um, and just playing as much as possible and just by some mystic process if you're out there all the time you know some certain new things just start happening It's necessary for the audience to 
to do some work to contribute something to make the the concert experience successful. And I mean, particularly when they're listening to you, not not just in a general way. Well, there's a um, there's a circuitry that happens anyway between the audience and the performer, especially in instrumental music, you know, which tends to be more abstract. I'm just I'm putting rays out in the air. I'm emitting impulses of sound and it's up to the audience to assemble that in their head themselves I mean I in a sense I'm not complete without the audience even though I could go into a closet and play for myself and you know that that's a great experience for what it, what it is but as far as defining myself as a public figure within the music I need the audience and um, I need the audience to you know quiet their minds, take in the language, um, whatever it generates in their brain, that's a part of the whole thing, and that somehow, on some level, probably feeds back to me. I don't, you know, I couldn't sit here and say exactly how, but there is a circuitry that exists between an artist like myself and the audience, and that's to be cherished and respected. That kind of brings to mind a, a conversation I had not too long ago with John Abercrombie in which he said that he thinks audience members would be surprised by how much, um, and he was speaking about himself in particular, how much he notices kind of what's happening in the audience, like even just the, the physical impression of the audience's reaction to the music that he plays and how that colors you know, where he proceeds throughout the evening. I wonder if you have a, a similar experience, if you if you take note of what seems to be happening in the in the audience as you're performing? Um, well, I'm a sensitive person, of course, like, you know, like everybody is. And I would tend to think that on a subconscious level, the overall mentality or, or psychological um, space that the audience is transmitting probably does affect me on some level. I mean, I do notice, you know, I'm, I go into a trance sometimes and I'm, really in my own thing when I'm playing, but I'm also sensitive to the environment and I feel things. So the audience does have, I mean, you know, I'm the type of artist I actually say, you know, I I go into my own thing, F everybody. And there's a degree where that's true, but I'm, I'm also sensitive to a lot of things and pick up on a lot of things and notice a lot of things. Even if I'm in a state of quasi trance or high concentration, um, and, and that's the I think to me that's the great thing about music that it it it, it is a field effect um, between the performer, the audience. Um, it's it's a shared venture. I mean, I, you know, I, I get to articulate the language on the piano, but other people in some way, you know, are a part of the experience and. Um, yeah, I feel I feel the audience. I definitely kind of have an idea usually what's going on. You know, put that way in in those terms, kind of the the field effect and the circuitry idea. I, it I like that. It, it makes it seem like the audiences uh, are really worth uh, kind of worthwhile and and necessary part of what's happening. Which, um, as an audience member, <laughs> is a, is a nice way to feel that the performer uh, you know considers you that way. I think. Right. I wonder, um, you've now, uh, you've recorded, you know, so much music in so many different formats. As you 
uh, are at this point in your career, is, has there been some sort of kind of overarching either theme or, or driving force or, or direction in which you feel you've been, you've been moving? Um, well, I think the overarching theme, no matter what context I'm in, is the actual language that I articulate on the piano. Um, that's kind of me, my personality, my musical personality, and somehow, whatever that language is, that's the glue for me, no matter what context I put myself in. As far as an emerging direction overall through all the projects, I probably would say where I am now, which is basically basically solo. Um, it, it's about my relationship to the instrument and whatever that language is that I articulate. And the language is kind of a metaphysical thing, but it's articulated on a on an instrument, on a physical thing. And in articulating it, you know, you always betray the language to some degree because if it's actually like a language or an energy field, you know, how can you get it exactly on a physical instrument? But that's the basic, what it comes down to, and I think playing solo is kind of the apotheosis of, of the language that has been put into many different contexts, whether it's with David S. Ware or with Roscoe Mitchell or with a hip-hop group like um, Annie Pop Consortium or just a standard jazz trio or whatever. When I When I get naked just one-to-one with the piano that's kind of you know that's where I've been headed and I'm probably going to stay there in for quite a while I mean not that I won't do other things but I think the solo piano thing is the most um I don't want to say satisfying but but it's the most revealing thing you know to reveal my soul alone on the instrument Talk a little bit more about how you're using the word language in that in that description of what you've been doing. I guess I use that word a lot. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I mean, what is music? Uh, to me, it's, you know, it's this. It's this oh, if, if you look at any culture's music, it's this kind of a shared set of symbols that, uh, uh, all in all, basically, it's vibrations. I mean, rhythm, melody, and harmony can be taken down to rhythm and all of it is vibrations and 
So you're dealing with, if you want to get mystical about it, you know, you're dealing with vibrations in the air, vibrations in the universe, and you can qualify all that as a language. I, I can't give you like an exact definition of what I mean when I say language in reference to my music or music in general, but I, you know, I think people get the idea. But it sounds like in any case you mean something larger than just the the technical aspects oh, of the way definitely. you particularly approach the piano. Oh, no, 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 most most definitely. Um, it's it's an alphabet. It's it's a, a cult to me, to me. Music is an occult alphabet of frequencies and vibrations that, that are transmitted on an instrument. I mean, they exist in the universe, in the air. They flow th- through your brain or your mind or whatever you want to call it. And as a musician, you articulate them on an instrument. But you're, you know, in the music, you're not playing notes. You're not playing scales. You're not playing arpeggios. You're not even playing chords. You're 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 saying something. That's, you know, I mean, if you're a successful artist, a successful meaning at being good at what you're doing, not making a lot of money, but I mean, but if you're, if you're doing your thing, you're saying something in the music and that means a lot more. That means it's, it's a language, you know, it has to be a language to say something and, and therefore it's not musical devices. You uh, you mentioned two people a moment ago, um, David S. Ware and and Roscoe Mitchell, and I wonder how uh, how playing uh, with the two of them helped contribute to the development of the language that you're using now. Right, well, my personality was already established on my instrument when I met either one of them, but still, both of them were great experiences. Um, you know, as far as maybe focusing certain aspects of my vocabulary that already were in existence. The first thing I think I learned, and, you know, they both have completely different methodologies. So just taking my personality and applying it in both of their universes, which there's things about their universe that are, you know, are shared with mine, but there's also distinct differences. And they, um, it was just kind of like a way to take my language and expand it by noticing how other different people, other people's methodologies are different. Um, with David, it was more of a East Coast thing that I, I come out. You know, I mean, first of all, the thing, first thing about playing with David S. Ware is when I was a kid, I think I always had a fantasy of playing with a big tenor player. And you, if anybody has seen David play, then you know, you know, he's a big, physically imposing guy. And I, as a kid. Obviously, I knew I couldn't play with John Coltrane because he wasn't alive any longer. But um, I think probably when I was younger, I remember like fantasizing about playing with Farrell Sanders, and I always knew I would end up having a gig someday with a big tenor player. So I, I guess David kind of served to um realize that dream. But the thing that made David great for me was that he comes out of a very distinct tenor tradition. Um, you kind of can look at him as a synthesis between Coltrane, Sonny Rollins, and Albert Eiler. But he he has a very distinctive um, compositional and organizational personality that's very much about this time in the music right now. It has nothing to do with those guys. And he's a very austere in his vision and ways about going about things. So... Um, 
know, he has distinct ways of writing his lines, putting his compositions together, and it was really, um, it was really a good thing to be able to be a part of his process. With Roscoe Mitchell, um, you know, he's even a little older than David, from a more of a Midwest and the AACM type of aesthetic. And um, the the thing that was interesting about him, he's coming from a whole different place than David, but it's a lot of his thinking is actually rooted in in an area, if you could, like a post-culturing area, where that intersects with the modern classical composer's area. And it's a really very distinct and original kind of area that he minds. And... Um, yeah, they're both really different types of personalities, and it was just a lot of fun. And again, I, you know, my personality in the piano was kind of very established when I met both of them, but still it stretched me a lot to be part of their music, and it was a great honor also. And I did learn things that I'm just discovering even today that I just learned, you know. mentioned you know having a developed uh, personality at the time you met both of them and i wonder whenever you're performing with someone else given what you've already said about about solo piano and how directly it gets to the kind of the root of the language that you're using uh, do you have to make compromises when you're performing with other people or what is that process uh, like for you when when you don't have complete control over right I, i don't know if i mean yes you do but i don't know if i would really use the word compromise i mean if if you're going to be in an ensemble, then it's incumbent on you to um, play in a manner that works for the ensemble, or you might as well just play solo. And uh, you know, I pride myself on that. If I'm if I am going to take on the challenge of playing with a group of people, I'm going to try to make it work. And wh- whatever you have to do to make it work, you have to do that. So I don't really consider that a compromise. I consider that just, you know, axiomatic as far as playing in an ensemble. I'm also interested, um, when you were, uh, or, uh, not when you were, but uh, when you are uh, curating um, things like the Blue Series and and uh, kind of drawing in a bunch of people from all, all over the musical spectrum, are, are you there again kind of looking to like speak your language but through this medium of you know having all these different performers um no no i'm i'm just a fan of music at that point and you know signing people that seem to be sincere and forward looking in their vid but I, i i'm not a part of the process at all you know if we signed somebody when we first started the blue series i was actually on a couple of the early early albums 
had my fingerprints on them. And, and even though they were successful albums, I, I realized pretty quickly that it's, you know, it's really just not about me. If we sign somebody, it's about them. And um, unless somebody asks for me to be a producer or something, I should just really give them freedom to do their own thing. I mean, we, we do, if, we, if when, musicians can be their own worst enemies sometimes, so, you know, there's always a need for um, other points of view, and at the label, we can offer that if, if a musician asks. But basically, when, when you sign somebody, it's more that I'm a fan of the music, and I'm in that position to be able to do that and then I stand back and hopefully am as surprised at the product as everybody else you know. in other words I'm, I'm a fan at that point I've uh, I've had some conversations recently. Um, I'm thinking particularly uh, with Steve Kuhn and Cooper Moore, who both talked about um, a kind of almost monastic devotion uh, to the music and needing to to choose to make a lot of other sacrifices in their lives uh, in order to kind of stay on this path. And I wonder whether you feel like uh, being a musician has required that of you. you were asking that because I was doing a budget <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, being a jazz musician is definitely um, not, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. I would not suggest, you know, for anybody to do this unless they really felt it as a vocation and almost like, you know, going into the priesthood where you had a calling to do this from the creative force of the universe. I, it's just not like a hobby <laughs> in any you know way. It's a very intense lifestyle. It can be very difficult on millions of levels. And um, the focus and you know needed to do this both just you know getting your instrument together, getting your your music together, and then after you know even after you're at the point when you have your thing together, just trying to survive and move forward because you basically have to get up every morning and create everything new in this every day. There's no infrastructure to it as far as the business aspect of it. And and to keep your music moving forward, keep your life together, you know, n not get strung out on alcohol and drugs, which is sometimes an easy way out if you because of all the pressures and just, you know, how difficult this is. I mean, it's it's really difficult, and it's only, I 
mean, you have to really feel that this is what you're meant to do. And you can't, you have to be very focused, very focused, or you just really don't even have a chance. And, you know, I'm talking about music and business both. I mean, obviously there's a, a place where they dovetail, but you ha- you have to be extremely focused about your music and moving that forward. And at the same time, you know, you have to survive. It's just a really difficult thing. Do you remember when you realized that music was more than just something that you liked and was actually something you had to do? Um, yeah, I mean, I've always been like intensely into music. I, I think I kind of realized that I wanted to make a living or do it as a living. When I was around 12 or 13, I was pretty early when I made the decision that this was what I wanted to do with my life. I probably, you know, I'm a big boxing fan, and once I realized I wasn't <laughs> going to be the next middleweight champ of the world, <laughs> <laughs> decided to start practicing piano more. Did it always seem, even when you were young, like it was uh, an achievable thing, a realistic thing to expect to do? Um, that's interesting. You put it. Uh, asked the question that way. I, I, I probably shouldn't have, but I, I was so confident in my abilities, even though, even when I didn't have much to show for it. I, I, I don't think I ever considered that I wouldn't be where I want to be. I just, it just didn't seem like an option. I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I don't know why. I mean, my, I remember even my father once was taken back with. Because he was just trying. I remember one day I was a teenager. He was saying, "You know, Mozart starved to death." <laughs> and he's like one of the greatest geniuses in Western history. You know, I mean, yeah, he goes, "It's great that you're working hard, and it's great that you avoid just like you know, consider an option." And I was like, "No, you know, I don't want an option." <laughs> and he goes, "Well, I actually," he was like, "I really respect it. I understand, but you know, this is." So anyway, he he often jokes with me that, you know, there was a time when I was a teenager that he was very concerned because I was just so single-mindedly going into this. And if you look in history books, I mean, you know, I mean jazz musicians don't usually fare that well, you know. Yeah, the, but, odds, um, the odds certainly weren't in your favor. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he, he, when, when somebody, I was really driven, and I don't, you know, I, I think... You know, when somebody's that driven, you can't really stand in the way. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I, I, I just had the confidence I did, but I did for whatever reason. What you do fun? I mean, it, we, we've had a pretty intellectual, you know, conversation about it. 
and you know, using words like driven and that kind of thing, which is obviously certainly called for. But is it also fun? Um, I don't, I don't know <laughs> what fun means. I mean, I, I, I I'm, I'm not trying to be like, you know, cute or anything. But I really, as a, from the time I was young, I had like a religious thing with the music, and I really had this drive that was, like I said, like becoming a, a priest or or something. So uh, I don't know if you call that fun. It just seemed to be like existential must for me um, playing is fun yeah I, I when, when the concert's really you know relaxed and it's, things are flowing that can be a great experience um, you know of course if, when I listen back to my own things if I you know, like something it can be very rewarding but I, I, I don't know I don't know what fun means I'm not really a fun type of guy yeah, maybe fun's uh, not, not the right word. I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm over serious either. I'm not, but I, I just do this because I feel that it's really what I have to do, and it's not. That doesn't make it a chore. I mean, so maybe it is fun. But um, as we speak now, I'm 48. I'll be 49 in a couple of weeks. Um, as we're speaking now, and um, you know, I sometimes <laughs> I remember reading about Coltrane practicing for hours with extreme um, tooth problems and dental problems and you know having pain I mean I some I've been practicing piano my whole life I sometimes have back problems is that fun no you know traveling on planes to gigs fun no but p- playing music is a must I mean I I've, it's just what I'm meant to do yeah and, and playing is beautiful when it's when it is beautiful Perhaps fun is a is a poor choice of words, and a, a better word, a better question might be, you know, does it contain joy? Oh, most definitely, um, most definitely. The, the I, mean, I mean, being a part of the language and the flow of the language, and I'm I'm hesitating to use the word jazz, but be, being part of the flow of of this American improvisational modern language is is. I don't. I don't want to say an honor, but I, I just want to say being able to be a part of it is just. It, it just feels that what I was meant to do, and I, I. I hesitate to use the word like it is an honor because that. That's not exact. I can't even think of the term. I, I guess in in Hinduism, Satchidananda, being bliss consciousness, um, is a term. That's that's sometimes used for you know people that are in high levels of meditation, what they're reaching, and that's that's what this can be. So again, it's like a religious experience if the language is really flowing. It's just, it just feels like an existential kind of bath for me to partake of the language. Matthew, do you feel that that any of that is the result of kind of something? Um, larger than yourself um well the the music is yes i mean i don't the music doesn't come from me it flows through me it's somehow i mean language is just out there and it somehow takes whatever structural elements you could say my brain or my mind has when it flows through me it takes the form of of me as i play it but the whole thing is beyond me 
but does that is it flowing from somewhere or is it just present and you're harnessing a piece of it and um i i feel well i don't uh, from somewhere is hard because i don't i i believe i don't believe in location or space or time when you're dealing with energy so it's it's not from somewhere kind of makes it seem like it's you know coming from a point it, it, it energy is you know it's just there i mean it's it's and the way I'm using it is outside of space and time. So it's yes, it is coming from somewhere, but but where denotes location. And I'm not talking about that. It, it's you know it, it's part of the field effect. If if if, if okay, if I, maybe another way to put it is part of the cosmic brain. If if you think of the whole universe as one entity, one mass, massive field of of consciousness or energy then then the whole denotes the cosmic brain and 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 the music is somewhere encoded in all of that yeah i i guess the part of the part that is uh, interesting to me about those descriptions is that they could it sounds like they could veer either to a kind of super rational place or to a kind of supernatural place uh, right. either from a you know a religious or a spiritual place or it could just be I mean, to some degree, that is in fact an accurate description of what the universe is actually like. That <laughs> it is all just big fields of energy, and but I don't know how directly it's possible to say. And therefore, this is the music that I make. You know, so it, right, right. Well, the uh, the new solo album is uh, is really fascinating, and um, I mean, I just feel like there's there would be so much more to mine from uh, from inside the particular energy field that you're moving in. But uh, I thank you very much for for taking the time to talk about your music and uh, it's it's been a pleasure to listen to it over the years and I hope we'll talk again. Thank you.
That's solo piano from Matthew Ship. His new album, which debuts this week, is called 4D. It's on the Thirsty Ear label. You can find out more at thirstyear.com. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show, along with a mailing list and a whole lot more, is available at thejazzsession.com. You'll also find the shows in iTunes. I am on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, and on Facebook, if you search in the Facebook search box for The Jazz Session, you'll find a group there. And if you join either the mailing list or the Facebook group, you'll get a message from me each Monday morning telling you who's on the show that week and also the following week, and it usually has a few other interesting tidbits, uh, most of them jazz-related. My thanks to the members of the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. They uh, composed and played the opening and closing themes of the show, and they are playing a lot these days on the East Coast, and I encourage you to check them out. Once again, respectsextet.com. Thanks also to graphic designer Dave Vrabel, who created the logo for the jazz session. Thanks so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.